Hey Liam. Hey Sarah. How did Scrooge win the football game? I don't know. The ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Highly Strange Podcast. You are here with me, Sarah. And me, Liam. Hopefully you listened to last week's episode on the Bell Witch and are already aware that this week's going to be a little bit different. So I'm sure you'll already recognise the voice. I'm with our lovely producer, Liam. Hello. So we're going to do... Well, this week I wanted to tell you about a little folklore story that has a nice Christmas vibe to it. Wonderful. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. This story originated in Greece but is known in many different countries. So I'm going to just say before we start this, a lot of these words are very foreign to me. (laughs) I've never even seen them written down, let alone said out loud. I'm going to try my best, but inevitably I'll probably pronounce some of them wrong. You'll be fine. we'll make do. (laughs) So... The Kinacantrozoi is what we're going with. So the Kinacantrozoi is a goblin-like creature known for being particularly mischievous. They are said to be small, black, male, mostly blind with long black tails. So picture Gollum but with elf ears and a tail. (laughs) They speak with a lisp and feed on small creatures like frogs and snails. The Kinacantrozoi only come to the surface of the earth for 12 days around Christmas, specifically from the 25th of December to the 6th of January. This is only at night, though, as it's believed they are afraid of the sun. For the rest of the year, these little goblins live underground, and they're very busy. They live at the centre of the earth, and stories say that they spend the rest of the year trying to cut down the tree of life that holds the world up. When on their 12-day bender, they enter people's (laughs) houses through windows, chimneys and keyholes. Once inside, the goblin-like creatures cause complete havoc. Some versions of this creature has a specific type of chaos they like to create. So I'm going to list you some of the different... They're still the same creature, okay. but kind of picture like, you know, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? Yeah. How well they have they their have own thing. names yeah. and things. Okay. So the first one is Catachinanus. It's, what, it's probably not how you say it, but this guy will eat all your food. And you can't <laughs> get enough and will eat everything in sight. Then you've got Magaras. Magaras is known for having a big fat belly and will leave a horrible odour in your home. <laughs> <laughs> you have Malaganas. This one is the trickster. So this little goblin craves attention and will do whatever he needs to get it. He's also known for tricking children and stealing their sweets. Then you have planetarium. Planet has the ability to trick people by transforming into any animal. And lastly, we have slot machine. (laughs) Great name. Slot has one short arm and one long arm. He often becomes terribly confused and will fall all over, knocking down and making a mess as he does. Slot machine. Yep. It's an odd name. It really is, isn't it? Because the rest of them all sound very Greek. Well, is it the one planetarium? Yeah. I mean, it still sounds Greek, but... But then slot machine. Slot machine. And also, I don't really understand the relevance to... I get... I was thinking, like, the short arm, like, when you pull down a slot machine. Oh, the, like, one-armed bandit thing. Yeah. But apart from that, I don't really get the relevance to it being called slot machine. No, but very odd. We, we carry on. I like them. <laughs> so how can you protect yourself from these crazy little goblins? In Greece, it's said that if you leave a colander outside your home, this will keep them occupied as they will count all of the holes. It's believed that they can't count past two as three is a holy number. As they can't count past two, they will never achieve counting all the holes and will disappear at sunrise. Interesting. A bit vampire-like. Yeah. Another option is to mark your door with a black cross on Christmas Eve. This acts as a sign of protection and will stop the creatures from entering your home. Finally, to stop them coming down your chimney, some households burn a large log for 12 days as the creature are said to be scared of fire and this will keep them away from your home. Once the 12 days is finished, 
the killer cunt joy <laughs> return back to the centre of the earth. Once they return, they find a new tree of life has grown and they get back to work for the year trying to cut the tree down. So they successfully cut the tree yeah, down every that's year. How they, that's how they like, get, get out. up. Yeah, because oh. it stops holding the world up. Right. So then they can get into the earth. So is that like a, a fake story of how like the ancient Greeks explained winter? It I think so. Because it's a up. lot to do with that specific 12 days is yeah. the solstice and stuff like that as well, isn't it? Yeah, so I think so. Would you like to hear some other weird Christmas tales from around the world? I would love to. Okay, let's start with werewolves. <laughs> In Italy, it is believed that if a male is born on Christmas Day, he will grow up to be a werewolf. This will happen specifically when he hits puberty. Females born on Christmas Day will grow up to be witches. Some of the legends around this tale state that it is because it is insulting to Jesus to be born on his birthday. And this means you would grow into something considered demonic. This tale is also similar in Germany and Poland, although you can be born on any of the 12 days of Christmas. Some parts of Europe also believe in the werewolves of Yule. This is the belief that the veil between the living and the dead is also weakened around Christmas time. <laughs> Eric in the background, he's our little werewolf Hello. for today. Many people believe that this will lead to monsters walking the earth that wasn't... Sorry. This isn't just limited to werewolves, though. It can also include vampires, witches and evil spirits. Of course it can. So don't be born on Christmas Day and don't insult Jesus like that. <laughs> so like a really Christian version of Halloween. It's like that's a holy yeah, day. Yeah, it is. I'd never thought of Christmas as being a time of year where the veil is thin as well, but I suppose it makes complete sense, really. Yeah, sure. It's the day the Son of God was supposed to have been born. Yeah. So magical time in many more ways than one. Yeah. In Iceland, they have the tale of Gryla. I think that's how you pronounce it. And the Yule Cat. So Gryla is a giant ogre who lives in a cave. During Christmas, she emerges to hunt for children, which she kidnaps, takes to her cave and cooks in a vat of stew. Brilliant. <laughs> the Yule Cat is a huge and vicious cat who lurks about the snowy countryside during Christmas time and eats people who have not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas <laughs> Eve. It's really random, isn't it? Eats poor people. Yeah, basically. The Yule Cat is terrifying. Like Satan, <laughs> walking among us like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, the massive Yule Cat lopes through town in the dark, peering into the lightened windows of children's bedrooms. The only way to save yourself from being eaten is to show him that you got clothes for Christmas, meaning that you had been good this year. If you didn't get any new clothes, you could try to leave out old, old clothes and hope to God that they meet his standards. Right, okay. I'd, I'd not really clocked that at first. It's, it's not, the clothes are kind of irrelevant. If you've Just been bad be and don't yeah. deserve a gift, that's why the cat eats you. Yes. Quite terrifying. It's scary. And when I looked at pictures of it, I'll try and post some. It's just a massive black cat. Like, right, okay. I mean, like size of like Puma, but still with tiny little cat head. So <laughs> it kind of looks cute. And then obviously it's terrifying as well. Well, it's only terrifying if you've been naughty. Yeah, if you've been good, then you get new clothes and not eaten. So win-win. And you meet a cat. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got, I'm going to try and say this name, Pierre Futard. Very nice. I think is how we say it. That sounds right. And he is French for father whipper or old man whipper. <laughs> I don't like this one. No, you're not going to. He's a character who accompanies St Nicholas on his rounds during St Nicholas Day, which is the 6th of December dispensing lumps of coal and or beatings to naughty children. <laughs> Father Christmas's muscle. <laughs> Pretty much. He is known mainly in the far north and eastern regions of France, in the south of Belgium and in France, speaking Switzerland. Although similar characters exist all over Europe, the whipping father was said to bring a whip with him to beat all of the naughty children who misbehaved. Oh, that's not good. No. 
the most popular story about the origin of Pierre Foutard, <laughs> I quite like saying it now, was first told about the year 1252, an innkeeper, or so all the versions that I found said butcher. Right. But the one that is the like proper old origin story mm. was an innkeeper. But when you read the modern versions, he's a butcher. Okay. So he captures three boys who appear to be wealthy and on their way to enrol in a religious boarding school. Along with his wife, he kills the children in order to rob them. One gruesome version tells that they drug the children, slit their throats and cut them into pieces and then stewed them in a barrel. St Nicholas discovers the crime and resurrects the children. After this, Pierre Fetard represents and became and becomes St. Nicholas' partner. A slightly different version of this story claims that St. Nicholas forced Pierre Foutard to become his assistant as a punishment for his crimes. Right, okay, to, like, redeem himself by working the flame. I just think that's terrifying. That's not me. It's not good, is it? There's been a bunch of children eaten so yeah. far. And of... imagine being told that as a kid. Imagine being like, <laughs> Merry Christmas, but don't forget the man that might slit your throat. <laughs> uh, yeah, not not for me. Then we've got another one from France, which is Hans Trapp. Hans Trapp, I suppose. According to law, Hans Trapp was a local man renowned for his greed and unscrupulousness. He used witchcraft and deals with the devil to become rich. After being excommunicated from the Catholic Church, he lost his wealth and social standing. He took to roam in the countryside disguised as a scarecrow. The of pictures of him are terrifying. Of I hate scarecrows anyway, but he's like <laughs> mega terrifying. At some point, Hans Trapp became consumed with the idea of tasting human flesh. This is what happens when you're dressed as a scarecrow. All the Obviously, time. it's like stage two, isn't it? Yeah. He led a shepherd boy to his death, then cooked him over a fire. Fuck's <laughs> <laughs> Basically, don't be a kid at Christmas. Yeah, right. Before Hans Trapp could take his first bite, however, God, finally feeling that things had gone too far, struck him with lightning. Why does God only intervene once the kids are dead? That's happened twice now. Because he works like social service. (laughs) (laughs) Hans Trapp died, but he returned sometimes on Christmas to go from door to door looking for young, tasty children. (laughs) Which is a horrible sentence. It's not a good combination of words. (laughs) Okay, this one I'm going to really struggle pronouncing. It's um, Austrian. So, Frau Percher is an Austrian and Bavarian tradition. She is associated with Birchter, the Germanic goddess of abundance, who was demonised by the Catholic Church and referred to as a witch. Frau Perchter is generally depicted as a crone dressed in rage with a beaked iron nose. Sometimes she carries a cane, but she almost always carries a long, sharp knife that she keeps hidden beneath her skirt. Is she going to use it on kids? I don't want to ruin the magic. I just have to wait. Don't ruin the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Frau Perchter, much like Santa Claus, will reward good children and punish the bad. So there you go. We've got more child abuse. She also punishes women for unkept households and unspun flax seeds. For those she deems good, a silver coin is left for them. If she deems you unworthy, if you forget to leave out a bowl of porridge for her, or if your flax is half spun and unfinished, she slits open your abdomen removes your organs and replaces them with straw. Of course she does. That, yeah, three-step plan. (laughs) (laughs) She's a woman that knows what she wants. Keep you warm. (laughs) She was also associated with the wild hunt, flying through the night while she accompanied by her demonic perched and Krampus-looking creature. Cool. And elves and unbaptised babies. Of course. (laughs) During the last three Thursdays before Christmas... 
you will hear the sounds of thunder and wind roaring. However, it's really Frau Patcher leading her wild hunt. That's cool. That's that one. And then I got one last little thing for you. There's no child abuse in this story. Then I'm not interested. <laughs> we'll finish there. See you next week. We'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might like this one. Okay. So this is why we're doing it. So, mistletoe. Most people associate mistletoe with kissing, as it's customary for anyone caught standing under this plant to receive a kiss. Before this, though, mistletoe was used as a religious symbol in pagan rituals centuries before the time of Christ. To the ancient Druids of Britain, it was a sacred symbol with both magical powers and medicinal properties. These ancient people believed mistletoe could cure diseases, make animals and humans more fertile, provide protection from witches and bring good luck. In fact, mistletoe was so sacred to the Druids <laughs> that if two enemies met beneath a tree on which it was growing, they would lay down their weapons, exchange greetings and observe a truce until the following day. When the Druids found mistletoe growing on an oak tree, they used a golden knife to remove it, taking care that the sacred plant did not touch the ground to protect its special powers. They then sacrificed a white ox to consecrate the event. Mistletoe was not allowed in Christian places of worship for many years because of its widespread acceptance in pagan ceremonies. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. No, never did I. I like it. I thought it was really cool. There's also like a parallel. You can see how when we kiss under the mistletoe, it's like the same theme as what yeah. they did all them years ago. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I mean, sacrifice, not great, but... No, no. <laughs> you know, it was going to provide you protection. I bet they ate it as well. Hopefully. An ox, mean? yeah, probably. They probably just sort of, we've got to kill and eat the ox anyway, so we might as well dedicate its blood to the mistletoe goddess. Yeah. I don't know how um, easy it would be to find like a white ox. Are they normally know. white? I feel like they're not. Not normally, but I guess you could breed them. Yeah. Yeah, mm. ox farm for your rituals. There you go. Nice. Well, that's all the stories I have. I like it. I'm just good. I've got a bit of a theory about all of the child cannibalism. Okay. So, um, it, all of these are Christmas stories, so they're all like midwinter, mm -hmm. and that's the time of year if you've had a really bad harvest and you've got no food, that you might end up starving and you might end up eating your kids. <laughs> so maybe those themes in like scary Christmas stories are because that is like a primal fear that we all have. If you don't yeah. harvest enough food throughout the year, you might end up having to do something you don't want to do over the Christmas. I feel like you'd eat the granddad or something, though. But but, what if, <laughs> but granddad's probably still got a bit of strength in him, can help do the farm work. Because I, I was thinking about it, when you were talking about it, I was thinking about why why specifically kids. And the thing is, like, because obviously, you know, the dad would want to sacrifice it. You know, you'd probably rather have them eat you than the other way around. But if that happens, who's going to tend to the oxen in the spring? And who's going to do all of the farm work and stuff? Yeah, I guess. I still just see them as stories of, like, behave. Yeah, Like, yeah. be good. Bit Otherwise, both. this is going to happen. Because yeah. really, do obviously... Do your farm work. Prove your worth. Because <laughs> really, obviously, Father Christmas is a lot more mild than this story. <laughs> but it is still that you will only be rewarded for good behaviour. Yeah. And bad things will happen it's if you don't. actually the same every time, isn't it? Yeah. It's always a theme of this time of year, for some reason. So, behave. Do well in school, <laughs> and then you won't have your abdomen slit open and stuff with yeah. straw. Don't get eaten by a cat. One of them, I can't remember the whole story, but um, it was similar to that witchy one mm. where she filled you with straw, 
and I think it was in Switzerland, and the government there have actually banned it being told to children now. Oh, really? Because it terrified it's too dark. them so much <laughs> that they were like, look, Christmas should be happy. Stop <laughs> telling children like they're going to be murdered. Don't scare your children with these evil yeah. stories. And I feel like Switzerland is a very wholesome place. and <laughs> like, uh, You know. Yeah. Don't scare them. Chocolate. Yeah. Use chocolate. So, yeah, that was my stories. I very hope you nice. enjoyed. I did. How does it good. feel having your first big debut on the highly strange that's good it was good we had goblins yeah we had lots of people eating kids yeah we had a witch that turns you into a scarecrow person by cutting all your guts out what was your favorite um i actually the the greek one the goblins really interested me because they come out obviously at certain times of the year and there are animals that do that there are things that live underground sometimes for years and then pop up at certain times you know like everything about them is kind of could, could it could be like a really old story that's distended over over a long period of time about something that actually lives in a hill somewhere. Out yeah. of all the ones I've told as well, that one like um, fits in with mm. loads of other stories. So yeah. in like different countries, it's the exact same story, but they're elves. Right. And in other countries, it's the exact same story, but they're gnomes. Yeah. So, but it's still the exact same thing. They mm. only come up for the twelve days, and they're down below, and it still focuses around the tree of life. Yeah. So they're that's, still hacking away at that for the rest of the year. That's another part of it that I liked because that sounds very Nordic. That's like the idea of something evil trying to chop down the tree of life. But here is the same, almost the same story and the same themes, but in a completely different part of Europe. It's, it's quite interesting, almost like they sprung up separately or were, yeah. you know, connected a very long time ago. I they was trying trading. to think and I was like, we don't really have them here, like... Mm. like terrifying like if you wanted to tell like a scary Christmas story you'd tell like a Christmas carol or something here wouldn't you yeah I guess so that's like our version of a Christmas ghost story we don't have like a you know Christmas witch or a I bet it's one of those things where you'd find lots of stories locally. You know, yeah, I bet maybe. you'd find lots of that old like local folklore about things. Because England's really interesting for having lots of stories about like characters that are called Old Scratch, and they're all mm-hmm. like over time have all been turned into the devil, but they're all separately these regional variations of the That's idea the of thing, yeah. something quite dark that likes to torment and is quite mischievous. I tried to Google like Irish ones for you, mm. but there isn't many. For like actual Christmas. Christmas. Well, not. I'm not saying there isn't many. I'm sure there probably mm. is, but not that was easy to find. Well, Ireland's story has Christianity and the pagan side kind of at odds sometimes. Mm. So I imagine if that's that's potentially intentional that they've kept Christmas as like sacred. Yeah. And they've tried to keep all of the other. Because the only that. thing that they said was like there is like a story of like nasty leprechauns, <laughs> but I was like I'm not doing that. It's so like <laughs> generic. <laughs> Yeah, we'll leave those. So I kept away from that one, but yeah. there was one, yeah, about like a little, same sort of thing, like goes around eating children. Yeah. But yeah. a little ginger leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe he's real. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Maybe they're all real. Maybe, you never know. Stories got to come from somewhere, right? I like all of these stories about goblins and, and elves and little people, they're just because they're so varied. They're so varied. When you have people that like to see aliens... You know, they might see on the other side of the world. And the thing that's really interesting about that is they always look the same. They're always like, yeah. There's, like, certain types that are really similar. But, like, when you just mentioned Irish elf folklore, there's they they look and, and feel and do different things town to town. You know, they're so varied and, and bizarre mm. and kind of wonderful. It's quite fun. I do want to do a whole episode on, like, Irish fae and fairies and mm. stuff. It's interesting. 
And like in Turkey, Christmas is like they don't have Father Christmas, they have a Christmas fairy, don't they? Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. My cousins are, their dad is Turkish. Yeah. And they've said to me before that it's a Christmas fairy. Oh, that's cool. So, and I think you get the presents Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day. So the fairy visits Christmas Eve, which I mean, Father Christmas does visit Christmas Eve here, yeah. doesn't he? But because he's real. <laughs> um, but their story is, yeah, like a little fairy. And I think it's very similar, though. Like, you still leave little bits out for the fairy to collect on her travels. Right, and you do the equivalent but, of the cookies and milk. Yeah. But I'm like, I suppose it just makes more sense, doesn't it? Because they can already fly. Like, she right, doesn't yeah. need all the added extras. She's the magic. just like a bot in her own right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She can, she can summon presents down your tree and stuff. Yeah. Have you seen that video I want at the moment with that little boy? That like he says Alexa can reindeer fly, mm. and obviously Alexa's like no reindeer can't. And he looks at his dad and he's like I told you Father Christmas isn't real. <laughs> Heartbroken. Alexa ruining Christmas. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> I think we rambled a bit there, but it's fine. That's fine. Um, it's Christmas week, so Christmas is this week now. Yeah. So have a lovely Christmas. And a a safe, happy Christmas. Stay safe. And we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.